Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to Beats Research Radio, a podcast and YouTube channel dedicated to bringing our community closer to research in the science and engineering fields. My name is Sabrina Grégoire, a student from the TMM program at UOttawa, and I'll be your host on today's special podcast episode for the Science Communication TMM 4950 course. Today, we are honored to be joined by Dr. John Bell, a member of the Center for Cancer Therapeutics at the Ottawa Hospital Cancer Center a senior scientist at the Ottawa Hospital Research Institute, and a professor of medicine at the University of Ottawa. He also heads the Canadian Oncolytic Virus Consortium, a Terry Fox-funded group from across Canada, which aims to develop virus-based cancer therapeutics. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Bell. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this. We are so happy to have you on Beast Research Radio. So to begin our conversation, do you mind sharing some of the main research interest in your laboratory or ongoing projects at the moment? Sure, happy to. So cancer, as you know, is a huge problem in Canada and across the world. It not only impacts people you know, in terms of the patients who suffer and their families, but what's maybe not well known is that it's about $26 billion a year cost to the Canadian economy. So it's a huge impact sociologically and financially. So, you know, I've been very interested and committed to trying to find new therapies for cancer for many years. And when I took a step back and said, what's what's happening in cancer treatment now? What's, what are the issues? What, what can we do to improve it? You know, I, I'm sure if I said to you, I know somebody who's going through chemotherapy, for instance, in your mind, you could picture what that would look like. Someone may have lost all their hair. They look like they are not well. They're losing weight, for instance, and they're really suffering from the treatment. And the reason for that is because the kinds of conventional therapies we use, like chemotherapy and radiotherapy, they do attack the cancer, but unfortunately, they also attack your normal tissues. So that's why someone loses their hair. That's why, for instance, they get sores in their mouth during therapy or they, they can't digest food very well, because not only is the chemotherapy attacking the tumor, but it's attacking their normal tissues. And so what we call the therapeutic window or the difference between the tumor and the normal tissues is not very wide with our conventional therapy. So what ends up happening is that patients suffer so much from the treatment that we can't continue to treat them. And in fact, that therapeutic window closes down to where the treatment's worse for the body than it is for the tumor. So my goal throughout my career has been trying to find what we call tumor selective therapies, therapies that attack only the cancer, just like a you know an arrow right to the heart, a very selective, kill the cancer, but don't attack the normal tissues. And if we had such therapies, then we could really have an expanded therapeutic window because you could treat and treat with these targeted therapies and not cause the toxicity to the patient. And, you know, it's sort of over the last, I guess, uh, 20, 25 years or so, uh, something that's really caught my attention is the concept of using biologically-based therapies instead of chemical therapies or radiation-based therapies. And this is a class of therapies that are built upon, for instance, viruses that we can tame and, and train to do what we want, or cells that we can re-engineer to be effective. So one example that, that we spent a lot of time developing over the years is the creation of novel viruses that are able to infect cancer cells, but not normal cells. And so if we could achieve this goal, we'd have a very selective therapeutic, one that could infect the cancer, hopefully destroy it, and then not impact the rest of the tissues. And so that has turned into a really burgeoning field of research since we started now. And, and there's been there's now over 40 companies around the world developing virus-based therapeutics trying to really advance this. So that's been a pretty rewarding and exciting part of, of our discoveries. So uh, these are just some of the things that are happening in the world that we're really excited about. And I think they're a new way of thinking about treating cancer aside from the old 
you know, people say chemotherapy is like trying to poison, radiotherapy is like trying to burn. We're just trying to use something that makes more sense for the body and will allow the patient in a sense to, to cure themselves if we can actually figure out a way to, to get their immune systems activated. Really interesting. So if I understood correctly, your laboratory focuses on cancer-killing viruses, very known as oncolytic viruses. Um, these viruses are known to infect and kill cancer cells, as you said, while leaving healthy cells unharmed. Would you mind explaining how these viruses can differentiate between the two? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's, it's one I often get because uh, people think that perhaps the virus recognizes the cell surface in some way and, and attacks it, but that's not actually how they work. So what we discovered over 20 years ago now is that when you take a normal cell and it evolves to become a cancer cell, it does so by acquiring a variety of mutations. So as you know, a cancer cell is genetically very similar to normal cells, but has a lot of acquired mutations which allow it to escape growth control and so on. So some of those genes that control the ability of the cell to control its growth, control whether it lives or dies, uh, the control is whether the cell is viewed by the immune system or not. So cancer cells try to become stealth. They get rid of some of their genes so they can be hide from the immune system. These same programs that normal cells use to keep themselves under control, they also use to help them fight virus infections. Because when a normal cell gets infected, it wants the virus infection to stop because it wants to protect the body. It's very altruistic. And so if necessary, that normal cell will commit suicide or it will stop its growth or it'll call on the immune system and say, come over here and kill me. And all those things cancer cells don't want to do. They want to hide from the immune system. They want to have uncontrolled growth. They want to have unbridled metabolism. So they get rid of all those special genes that normal cells use to fight virus infections so that they can become immortal. But when they do that, of course, they're opening themselves up to virus infection because they've lost the defense mechanisms which allow them to resist virus infection. So these viruses we created exploit genetic defects that are found specifically in cancer cells and therefore allow them to grow in cancer cells and not normal tissue. So an analogy I'd give you is if you had pavement and grass side by side and you threw grass seeds on the pavement, which is like the normal tissue, those grass seeds wouldn't grow. But if they land on the earth, which is open to being seeded, then in fact, the grass will grow very well in the dirt. So that's the same thing. The normal cells are, are the asphalt, they're resistant to virus infection. Cancer cells are more like the dirt. They haven't got the ability to fight virus infections. And so the viruses can quite well in those and can destroy them. Great, thank you. So nowadays with COVID-19, the public became familiar with the concept of getting a first dose vaccination to prime the immune system, followed by a booster shots, which amplified the immune response. Can you explain how this is applicable to anti-cancer vaccinations as well? Sure. So there's lots of different ways to give vaccines. The vaccines that we all got during COVID are preventive vaccines, wherein you get uh, injected with a protein or a messenger RNA that encodes a protein that is found on the virus. The first time that enters into your body, the immune system sees it and it begins to react to it and it makes a, a small reaction to it. But the second time it comes in, the immune system has already seen it once before. And so it gets really excited the second time that protein or antigen is presented to the body. And so there you have what's called a prime and a boost, which helps to really increase the magnitude of the immune response. In cancer, it's a little bit different. It's harder to uh, get immune responses against the cancer because it's already working hard to be stealth and hide from the immune system. And so we have to use extra special strategies to really augment immune responses. And so this concept of priming and boosting is even more important. And what we try to do is use different kinds of vectors to deliver particular kinds of proteins to the immune system. And we do it in a way that's called heterologous 
priming and boosting. And what it means is that we present to the immune system tumor antigens in the context of a particular vector, could be a virus, could be a messenger RNA, could be uh, any number of things. And that's the prime, and it, it has both the vectors, antigens in it, and the tumor cell antigens. When we boost now, we use a different vector, so the immune system's just seen that for the first time, of the same tumor antigens. So the tumor antigens have been there twice, and so they're primed and boosted, so they increase the immune response. But the vectors are different each time, and so the immune response to them is just a low level of response. So using tricks like this, adding in other antibodies, which augment immunity, these are all things we do to try to really ramp up the immune response against the tumor and hopefully have therapeutic benefit because it's a lot harder to get a therapeutic vaccination versus a preventive vaccination. So in case of a therapeutic vaccination, the tumor's already there. In the case of a preventive vaccination, like you had in COVID, you haven't been infected yet. And so you set up an immune response ahead of time. So these are just some of the challenges that we face, but there's a lot of new strategies to, to find ways to make this more effective. Great. So our immune system recognizes substances called antigen to initiate an immune response if warranted. The previous method was to engineer oncolytic viruses to encode the desired antigen. So tell us the story of how your team of researchers came up with the novel idea to co-administer antigenic peptides with oncolytic viruses instead. Yeah, it was really based upon a lot of work by our group and other groups around the world. And we recognized this concept, of, as I mentioned, of the heterologous prime boost could be a really, really interesting way to increase immune responses against antigens, which are hard to immunize against, like tumor antigens. And the other innovation we made, actually, was we gave the initial treatment directly in the tumor by direct needle injection or into the muscle by direct injection. That was the prime. And then the boost we gave intravenously. And the reason we did that is because we wanted the virus to go everywhere, attack all the cancers in the body, no matter where they were. What we discovered when we did that was that the prime boost was 10 to 100 times more effective when we gave the second virus intravenously. And it then led us down a path where we understood now that when that virus is intravenously delivered, it finds places in the spleen that are not normally accessed by antigens, and it's able to really crank up the immune response substantially. So it really was a lot of different experiments over many years, looking at ways to deliver viruses, how to encode antigens virus, and, and following our noses, as it were, to sort of try to find the best path forward. And we ultimately came upon, as you described, a system where we would use two different viruses that were vaccine vectors or oncolytic viruses in the series, both encoding the same antigens to give us this heterologous prime boost, but also adding in this wrinkle of giving vaccination intravenously. What is the advantage of your team strategy in terms of personalizing the vaccine to a specific type of cancer? So that, that's another great question, Sabrina. And, and I'll tell you that what you said is absolutely true, is that everyone's cancer is different. And so it's really hard to find an antigen that works for all of us. And that's because cancer really is a disease of your own genetic information. So it's not something you can catch. It's a disease that happens within your body. Tumor cells are very similar uh, to your normal cells in many respects. And that's one of the challenges. But we do know, as I mentioned earlier on, that as cancers evolve, they acquire mutations to allow them to have uncontrolled growth and avoid apoptosis and so on. And so they generate what we call new antigens because those mutations create new proteins that have not been seen by the immune system before. But each person's cancer, whether they have two people with lung cancer, two people with breast cancer, it doesn't matter. Those cancers can still be different because their genetic information is different in the first place. So these so-called, uh, we call them neo-epitopes or brand new epitopes or brand new antigens that appear in cancers uh, are quite unique to the cancer. 
So like by using an oncolytic virus approach, for instance, uh, and there's other strategies we do using immune cells, we can actually have the virus infect the cancer. As it destroys it, it releases some of these neoepitopes, these new antigens that are tumor specific and, and reveals them to the immune system. And so in that way, even though we use the same virus for all the people, the immunization is personalized because it's the rupture of that particular cancer cell and that's exposure to that person's immune system. So it is a personalized therapy, even though it's the same virus for everybody. So it's really a sort of a unique twist on this and that it's creating a situation where basically it's it's awakening the immune system to recognize the cancer is foreign. And then there's a personalized immune response against that particular cancer. Great. So one of the most exciting aspects of your research, while there's many things really interesting, it's that it has the potential for clinical translation and commercialization. Could you please explain how these oncolytic viruses could be administered? Sure. And so I think you're, you're really asking a question about the, the pathway from, you know, the research lab and the mice all the way to, to where people are getting treated and, and they become real products. When I came to Ottawa, the vision was to create facilities so that we could take discoveries and then translate them as it is into products that we could then test in people. Because, you know, I'm a mouse doctor. I'm not a real doctor, as my mom would say. I'm a mouse doctor. What I really like to do is treat people. We have in our lab here at the uh, Ottawa Hospital Research Institute, a facility that allows us to manufacture products to put into people. And this facility allows us to manufacture new viruses we create. And once we've manufactured them, then we can, once we go through Health Canada, once we do all of the testing and, and prove that they're safe, we then can open a trial and potentially treat people at downstairs in a clinic just below my lab or at other clinics around the world and see if these viruses work. So this, this system has been really good for us, for my research program. And over the years, we put, I don't know how many, you know, a half a dozen viruses into the clinic uh, and test them. And we've made products that have been tested in you know, Asia, Europe, Australia, US, and Canada. So we've been able to really broaden our reach around the world and test these in various kinds of people and various kinds of indications. Great. So that's all the questions I wanted to ask you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Your research is really interesting. Um, on behalf of our director, Dr. Emilio Alarcon, and the whole Beats Research Radio team, we thank you all for tuning in. Beats Radio is supported by the University of Ottawa Heart Institute, the Beats Laboratory, and the Department of Biochemistry, Microbiology, and Immunology at the University of Ottawa. Don't forget to follow our Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube platforms to stay in the loop of our latest uploads. Wishing everyone good health. See you all next week.